Welcome to the WellStack Podcast. I'm your host, Shannon Rossick, the Director of WellStack Content and Solutions. In this episode, I'm joined by Joanna Kanakis, EVP, Head of Business Development at Halo Investing. Today's topic, what it means to build protective investment solutions. But before we even get to the first segment, you know, Joanna, thank you so much for joining me uh, on this episode. Thank you so much for having me, Shannon. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. And I want to start with your background and what ultimately makes Joanna, Joanna, and how you landed at Halo Investing. Sure. Well, like I said, it's it's a delight to be a part of the broader WealthStack family. And thank you so much for having us here. We, I... I joined Halo uh, about four years ago. We were in kind of two guys in a pizza box phase, as I like to call it. I was the 15th employee. So um, had one round of funding under our belts. Um, I came in, we've had subsequent two other rounds since then, and have grown from 15 employees to I think 130 was last count. Um, crazy time to also be growing in the middle of the pandemic, et cetera, and starting this business. But You're doing something um, right then. Yeah, absolutely. I came from Halo via actually a large French investment bank. I started my career, I was a philosophy undergrad and started my career on a trading desk in 2005, um, structuring derivative packages for institutional investors. So think hedging bond issuance for uh, giant banking treasury groups, structuring S&P option multi-legged packages for say JP Morgan London's prop desk when that existed prior to Dodd-Frank. And then hedging commodity futures, like trading sugar for Coca-Cola. I did kind of all of that, learning the markets and kind of learning derivatives uh, through until about 2012, when I moved into institutional sales, selling the clearing, financing, and structuring of those kinds of packages for those same kind of institutions. And then actually jumped over to retail in this jump to Halo. Really, it was, I realized that there was um, a huge impact on uh, the ability to create create and design personalized outcome solutions for end investors that was really similar to the same kind of sophisticated things that I was doing for PIMCO and JP Morgan, but delivered down to financial advisors and the individuals they serve at Halo. So that's why I made the crazy leap of a cushy banking career into a startup. <laughs> I, um, that was going to be my next question because yeah. like, cushy banking job to startup, that's, ne that's never easy to... To, to do. So kudos to you, but it sounds like it's been going quite well. Yeah, it's been quite a ride. Um, I told my husband when I had the conversation about kind of where does this go? I thought if like one tenth of the things that these crazy founders say comes true, this is going to be a heck of a ride and all of it has, and it has been quite a ride. Funny though, right? Like they gave me a lap, Apple laptop and said, here you go. Like, and I thought I can't even turn this thing on, let alone install my own word press and whatever else. <laughs> Well, you yeah, made it so, this far. <laughs> exactly. So I guess like what makes me, me, I am a risk taker. I like to think strategically about big problems and then figure out the way to start taking steps forward to solve them. And I really love engaging with people and learning about who they are and what makes them tick and what motivates them. And then aligning to that and helping solve their problems and my own at the same time. That's what gives me the best kind of value. 
Well, it sounds like you're in the perfect position then, because as I mentioned in my intro, you know, Halo's mission is to build protective investment strategies and ultimately mitigate risk. And admittedly, when it comes to concepts like structured products, buffered ETFs and annuities, I am not as well versed. So I'm very much looking forward to learning from you in this episode. So to really kind of set the stage for this conversation, can you just explain at a high level, you know, what are structured products and why is Halo on a mission to ultimately democratize the space? Sure. So we um, really were founded with the mission of bringing optionality into retail wealth portfolios. So what does that mean for somebody like my mom, who's a public health nurse? It means typically as an investor, you have access to stocks and bonds and very little in between. There is obviously a rise of kind of alt platforms coming in and some other um, strategies that give you certainly broader access to uh, wealth management solutions, but also add to the risk. What we know in sitting in Chicago, which is kind of the options trading capital of the world, is that options can be extremely efficient and effective at, in mitigating risk. And we wanted to figure out what is the best wrapper, what's the best delivered solution to help that risk mitigation solution into retail wealth. And so retail wealth is yours and my 401k or 529 plan and the investments inside of that, et cetera. Halo started uh, with the mission of, again, moving that retail wealth into something that can mitigate risk and has structure to it. And so structured products are one of the wrappers, structured products, annuities, buffered ETFs, there are some others as well. They're all wrappers that deliver the same kind of outcome. So ideally, you can have an investor who can design exactly the risk that they want to mitigate. So how can they control and smooth out the outcomes for themselves and have better defined objectives and the investment solution that target those objectives? That's really um, who we're, what we're doing and why we exist in this space today. We found a huge gap in retail wealth in terms of these. So you're not the only person that says, I raise my hand, I'm not well-versed in this. Um, most folks aren't. So we're on a, on a sort of educational diversification and democratization mission to um, teach the world about these products and then enable the financial advisors who serve investors um, to use these effectively. Well, the education is certainly working. I see Halo popping up everywhere now. <laughs> so um, it, it's obviously working and I, and I do appreciate the background. So let's dive into our first segment. You know what's coming. It's Stats All Folks. And we obviously can't talk about risk and protection, and protection without taking a look at market conditions. Obviously, that's dominated the headlines for the past year plus. But you know, the stat I want to talk about is 17%. And according to Bloomberg, the typical 60-40 uh, stock bond portfolio suffered a loss through late December of almost 17%, the worst since 2008 during the you know great financial crisis. Crisis. And technically, that equates to a 23% loss if you include inflation. So do higher short-term inflation rates mean there's potential for more volatility ahead? How is Halo looking at this? Yeah, so it's a great question and very timely and sort of on the minds of every asset allocator money manager today. Higher short-term inflation rates mean that there is more volatility and more unknown. Insofar as we have high inflation, the central bank is going to try to mitigate that risk, but is also in a in a little bit of a tight situation, as we've heard through the Fed, Fed minutes over the last just two weeks of being released. We're they're at a tricky spot in terms of what to do with this high inflation. So, 
volatility comes when investors don't know what the central bank is doing. The central bank doesn't know quite maybe what it's doing or it doesn't have the conviction that maybe it had in January. So absolutely, there's more volatility ahead. Really, the to to dig in a little bit to that seventeen percent number, the reason those the those sixty forty stock bond portfolios suffered a loss of almost seventeen percent is because the correlations of those sixty forty assets were tighter than they have been since the nineteen nineties. So your equities and your bonds were both off, and there was nowhere for money managers to find yield or to hide. That's really the key sticking point of why those those portfolios were off so heavily. And then the question mark in front of every money manager's mind is, okay, where do we go from here? And and speaking of, you know, of risk too, this is actually coming directly from your website, this stat. So thanks for making my job easy. But <laughs> for this year alone, for 2023, to hit a 7% nominal return, investors may need to nearly 16x, you know, and take on 16x more risk than they did 30 years ago. So let's talk a little bit about the challenges in modern day portfolio construction and when where Halo fits in. Yeah. So what we're what we're seeing in advisors' management of portfolios, um, absolutely are we have a, a whole piece on our Halo journal. So if you go to journal.haloinvesting.com. There's a, a piece um, about hedged equity strategy that talks about the challenges in modern portfolio construction today. To re to achieve a seven percent yield in 1991, you could do that through holding 98 percent cash <laughs> with a one percent risk. Obviously, interest rates kind of being where they were meant that you you could achieve that that kind of yield. In 2021, you had to hold 37 percent large cap, seven percent mid cap, 13 percent real estate, 23 percent global um, equity. That's outside of the United sense, and then a tiny piece of fixed income. So the reach for that same kind of yield significantly changes the risk bucket that then your client is in. So what we find is advisors are reaching for riskier and riskier assets to hit that bogey return, 7% yield. But in reaching for those assets, they're also shifting the risk spectrum for their client. What Halo does is helps actually look at that client portfolio, help the advisor step through to see where are the riskiest places in that position and where can you transfer some of that risk to a protected equity structure. So whether that's a structured note, a buffered ETF, or an annuity, all of these kinds of um, assets are risk mitigated solutions. So you are going to experience a level of downside protection on your assets, but be exposed to equities. Um, so again, that ideally enables the advisor to not have to reach quite so far down the risk spectrum in order to target the yield. So you got into it a little bit, but I want to dive in a little bit more around how structured notes and annuities and products like that help reduce, you know, longevity risk is is this a bit of a more difficult conversation for advisors or are you seeing that the savvy ones really understand this concept and are able to articulate it to their to their end clients? It's nuanced for sure, but the reality is with the boomer generation hitting that peak retirement accumulation decumulation phase or transition, uh, more and more advisors are struggling with longevity risk and decumulation. So uh, what we're finding is, right, remember, longevity risk is the possibility that you could outlive 
mm-hmm. what you have in your savings, um, investments, pensions, annuities, and other sources of retirement income. What Halo does is teaches advisors how to generate yield off of the investor's core portfolio. So let's figure out how to hit that 7% bogey, but not, but be able to maintain that core investment portfolio in turbulent environments. That's really the message of these structured products. Um, It sounds like a gotcha, like how in the world could you do that? This seems absurd, (laughs) but that's because we have been taught to only think in terms of stocks and bonds and nothing in between. So it is this in-between piece where, where defined investments or defined outcome investments can sit. And, you know, as you said, really these kind of new asset allocation techniques have historically been out of reach for most investors. So how is Halo specifically closing the risk gap? Yeah. So these defined outcome investments, we we provide access via a technology solution and a uh, in-field engagements. Think of them as kind of advisor education educators um, on these kinds of solutions. So these these products, these asset allocations have indeed been out of reach historically. These products have lived in private banks. They've lived kind of only at the fingertips of the ultra high or high, more ultra high net worth investor. That's because they were inefficient to manufacture. So an ETF costs the, the asset manager that lists it, you know, 250000 upfront to build, but then they can scale the manufacturing and in the distribution of the ETF or same thing in the mutual fund, big money upfront, but then you can kind of distribute that out. Structured notes um, and even actually annuities don't work that way because there is QCIP licensing every single month. There is maintenance of the documentation for it, et cetera, et cetera. Halo streamlines the manufacturing of the product to bring that investment size to a more efficient reach and it helps the advisor actually manage the solution more efficiently and effectively so that it can be 5% of an asset allocation and not take up half of your day, which is essentially what it would mean um, before, before Halo's technology. No, that makes sense. And specifically for the advisor, what does Halo's tech allow them to do? Is there a personalization aspect, price competition? Mm-hmm. What does that look like? Yeah, so for advisors that work with Halo, they have access to Halo's web-based platform. That is a place where advisors can be educated on the product. So we field engagement folks that help kind of hold the hand of the advisor and translate Wall Street jargon into Main Street. Um, We also have education materials on our platform that help kind of reinforce for the advisor videos, content, screenshots of our platform, et cetera, that help the advisor really understand master the, the products themselves. And then there are research tools. So there are tools whereby an advisor can see how how putting a, a downside protection at 10% differs than 20, differs than 15, differs than five, and kind of what that means um, also on, a, on an income projected basis. So we have tools where you can structure out an, an income product and then forecast what's the likelihood of that income being achieved. So it's a research, it's sort of education, research, and then um, transaction. So think, Joanna, in 2005, when I was structuring those option packages, I was calling around to the floors of exchanges. Think like a stockbroker in the 80s, right? Mm-hmm. Structured products were the last bastion standing that still are transacted via phone. 
Um, and Halo was the first place that said, wait a minute, can we just put all of this on the lovely place called the internet and help advisors <laughs> transact like these? This. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't have to be like this. Let's make this more efficient. And obviously in making it more efficient, we can drive costs down for the advisor. Um, so an advisor can browse through offerings that are available. Think like an ETF or a mutual fund shelf products that are accessed today and for a minimum of $1,000 per account. That's bananas. Like you can create this crazy structure thing for $1,000 um, per per client. And then our technology also helps design and personalize for the advisor. If they want a very targeted outcome solution, say defined um, downside protection risk mitigation strategy, the advisor can design that on our tech and then bid out to the manufacturers of the product. So there's certainly personalization in this um, and price competition available for the advisor on our technology. And then the lifecycle side. So let me just say, um, because these are not ETFs and mutual funds, custodial data is um, gappy, let's say. Uh, there are holes in uh, the information that's available and our technology provides a place for advisors to be able to manage these throughout their life cycle. So typically they're two, three, four in an annuity at seven year term. Our technology helps the advisor manage that and sends push notifications and alerts as important income streams are coming through, et cetera. And ideal client type that you serve. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So advisors that we work with, you know, like I said, historically they have been Structure products have been in the private bank and sort of ultra high net worth side. We certainly dominate in the breakaway space. So our solution is the platform of choice for breakaway firms. Um, think of all the folks that are coming out of the wires, see what we do and say, oh my goodness, this is completely different than the way that we did it in the private banks. Oh, I can and imagine. So much more efficient and so much better than they ever had there. So um we dominate that space. We also, as we have been moving down market actually into the um, high net worth and mass affluent advisors, what we find is, um, especially when it comes to core asset allocation and the way that we can teach advisors to use this as part of their core asset with a thousand dollar investment, this can be now accessed to um, sort of the mid-range advisor as well. So we work with firms across the country. We work with large enterprises. We're embedded inside of Pershing. So if you are a custodied client of Pershing, you can actually access Halo. They've um, upgraded their structured notes tech via us. So you can access somebody as giant as all of the whole Pershing network, all the way down to you know, a $50 million RAA that wants to use this as part of their core allocation for their for their clients. Um, it really runs the gamut at this point. Great. And can you share a little bit about what's on the roadmap for Halo? Sure. So all of the ecosystem that we've talked about thus far covers advisors that are selecting their own asset allocation and directing their own end products for their client. Another way the industry jargon of saying that is rep is PM business, right? This is advisor as a portfolio manager who is picking their equities and picking their mutual funds and picking their structured products or picking their annuities. Where we are going is really putting these defined outcome products into more broad advisory accounts. So into in the hands of asset managers that can put this, say, in a SMA for sure to start. 
ideally we'll get to the point where we can put this in a UMA, where we can put it in an ETF, where we can put it in a mutual fund. That's where from our mission and democratization and getting this in the right hands, that's where this needs to go next. So we launched last month three SMAs with core firms that are using Halo technology today. Um, they eat, sleep, and breathe structured products and have. One of the teams actually came out of uh, UBS, their firm called New Edge, a large breakaway firm. Um, and they ran the structured note SMA inside of UBS. Now they break independent and want to provide that same SMA access to the rest of the U.S. market. So they are we're partnering with New Edge and several others to promote these separately managed accounts that essentially deliver the same protective story access to the same solutions, but outsource that expertise for advisors that don't want to manage that uh, on their own. And I would imagine you'd expect to see more of that, that trend. I <laughs> certainly would. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the, the fear, fever from asset managers on going, wait, how can I diversify these portfolios that I've been running ETF models, et cetera, has been cacophonous. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, great, great word, um, but exciting times indeed. Yeah. But I do want to jump to uh, segment two of this episode, Joanna, of Ask Us Anything, where I've gone out to the social universe and asked them to submit questions they want answered by you. And we've certainly had some folks drop into the DMs this week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's the time for it. That's for sure. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the first question we had, um, which is, I feel like right up your alley, is all around the banking crisis. And this person asked, it's still to be determined if another banking crisis is unfolding following the failure of SBB. How does Halo Investing view this landscape currently? So I'll answer on behalf of Joanna, not on behalf of Halo Investing. Fair. I think my my compliance would have my head if I answered on behalf of our whole firm. But um, I, I really view SBB as episodic and contained the sort of risk. And, and while contagion was on the table for a while, uh, and there was certainly palpable market fear of banking crisis completely overtaking this country. Um, I myself, I was calling friends of mine who are still on trading desks and saying, is your body going through PTSD like yes. mine? Like are I sat okay? on a trading desk in 2008. <laughs> I, it, My head was going, this is different. This is different. But my body was going, I know this stress. <laughs> it was wild. I, I actually considering what we have seen. So let's look at the numbers, the statistics and the flows of assets into the big, big giant banks tells us that um, there is faith and consistency in the giant uh, U.S. investment banks, right? That that you can just see that those numbers and those trends of the headlines over the last two weeks, we know that those those too big to fail institutions are now massively too big to fail. Right. What SVB also taught us um, is that it wasn't just the too big to fail firms that were too big to fail. The central bank um, stepping in and buoying SVB in and extending FDIC limits and everything else tells us that that there there was 
their their any bank was too big to go at this stage of our kind of our economic cycle. And so I think that um, the SVB fallout will probably just require smaller and regional banks to be more diversified in their business. So again, SVB was episodic and contained, but that does kind of give smaller regional banks the the wherewithal to go, okay, we need to diversify a little bit better. For those in the wealth space, this is my very, very Joanna's personal opinion. I think that this is a awesome opportunity for smaller regionals to think and put more emphasis on their wealth solutions um, and on their wealth business versus the commercial business. Uh, and and we see this as a very healthy diversification versus traditional commercial banking and an awesome opportunity to continue to come into this wealth space that is just burgeoning and on the middle in the middle of this amazing um, rejuvenation and re-identification and in flooding of capital and technology and everything to make it so much better. I do not disagree with that sentiment. So we will see what happens. Obviously the the progressive ones and forward thinking ones will capitalize on this. So mm-hmm. definitely hope to see it. So that'll be part two <laughs> down the road here Absolutely. for us to talk about. We'll, re- we'll regrab and try to listen to the, check the tape, see if it worked. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, pivoting a little bit. We did have one more question for the segment. There's been a spotlight on outcome-based investing uh, in the last few years. What does it mean and how does it compare to managing for risk and return? It's funny, we're using all the same words, right? Just using them in in different spots (laughs) in this this sentence. Um, Outcome-based investing means that when you make the investment, you know in advance how that investment will deliver will be delivered in the end. So an outcome based investing means I am going to today buy this knowing that at the end of a 2 3 4 year period I will receive x. The way that you do that is with options whether they are 4 month options, 6 month options, 1 year, 2 year listed options or the structured products and annuities have embedded uh, over-the-counter options, again, that have only been available to institutional investors. So that's why this is like a, whoa, wait a minute, you can do this kind of concept. The spotlight, I think, the the reason that you've got this spotlight on outcome investing is because of the this thing that we started off talking um, at the beginning of this podcast, Shannon, is the, di- the difficulty in achieving a 7% yield mm-hmm. and not outstripping your risk um, and outrunning your your asset allocation. So how does it compare for managing risk and return? You, I mean, I think that that's a, that's a higher level conversation with the CIOs of the world that actually we are having today. It is more defined. It is a, in our argument, it is an easier way of managing actually your client human behavior rather than um, a CIO managing for risk and return. So in our experience, we find advisors that use these outcome-based investing um, as as an emotional kind of soothe, (laughs) along with being able to actually deliver the targeted yield that you're supposed to. So that's really, I think, the difference between just kind of managing between a 60-40 portfolio or changing the balance of um, of that asset allocation. Well, I appreciate you being put in the hot seat and your insightful answers. <laughs> so <laughs> definitely answered these folks' questions. So thank you. 
Um, but we have come to our final and my favorite segment, Stack It or Whack It, where I'm going to throw out a few technologies and be warned, they are not always wealth tech related. <laughs> and you tell me if they are worth the hype or not. So essentially stack it or whack it. And the first one I have to ask you about, considering your banking background, is open banking. Is it coming for the banking world? Worth the hype? Stack it or whack it or hybrid? <laughs> open banking is most definitely a stack it for me. The difficulty of introducing and implementing technology in the financial ecosystem is thoroughly laborious because of our compliance constraints. However, absolutely critical to maintain and be a relevant part of culture and society in the way that people need focus on personalization, how that open banking can give scaled access to imp impactful advice or guidance. Think about like if if your financial advisor knows exactly how much you have in the four in your five twenty nine for your kids' college. How much more impactful can your financial advisor be when they can holistically plan for say the income shortfall that will? In I'm looking, my kids are eight and six, and I'm looking down the gauntlet, going, "How much is college going to be by the time they get there? Like that shortfall is going to be there." Um, I would love my think think the effectiveness and efficiency of holistic financial planning can be that much more impactful with open banking data. So it's difficult. Nothing that's meaningful ever is easy. It is absolutely a stack it for me. All right. And the second one, and I hope I don't sound like some internet creeper, but when I was doing <laughs> when I was doing my research for this podcast, bit, and, I know, kidding. I know. I'm kidding. <laughs> I did stumble across your bio uh, during said research and it mentioned that you were a runner. So I have to ask you about running tech. I am a gym rat and and so, but I don't I am attached to my Apple Watch, but that is about it. And I stumbled across um, these things called connected smart insoles, and like you just slip them inside your running shoe and links to your phone. So you can have metrics around your running speed, distance you've covered, calories burned, all that fun stuff. So is that better than clipping something to your waist or wrist, you know, or again, an overrated tech that's just kind of a nice to have stack it or whack it. Whack it. I'm a purist when it comes to running. I, for the longest time, I even hated wearing earphones or earbuds. Like I remember running with a CD disc man like this, like holding it flat so it wouldn't skip. Right. But I, in general, I don't like technology. I actually would rather not wear a watch. I've never worn the heart monitors. So in some ways, I at first I thought, oh, insole would be nice because then I don't have to feel anything and I don't have to hold it. But really, I'm also not a data junkie about my running. I just run and am feeling how I feel and go for as long as I need to run. Um, so I'm not like a calorie counting need to know exactly what this minute was and this minute, this minute. I just go. Just yep. go. Just appreciate Get it for out what there. it is. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All so right. Funny. I love it. One stack, one whack. Fantastic. Joanna, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you and learning more about Halo Investing. So please feel free to tell listeners where, where they can find out more about you and what you're working on. Yeah, Shannon, thank you so much for having me um, and for having for having Wealthstack and Halo's partnership be budding and growing over these last couple of years. That's right. The best place to find information about how we think about asset allocation and how advisor, the tools that advisors can access is really through our website. 
So haloinvesting.com. And then our journal, so journal.haloinvesting.com is our kind of educational hub for advisors um, and home office folks to understand and learn the way that we are different in this space and um, the solutions that we provide. In all of those spots, there's a big green box that says connect with a specialist. You can do that. Drop in my name if you want to talk directly to me. Um, I run our business development. So I'm always interested in new and fascinating conversations with folks that are thinking differently about how to serve their clients effectively. I have to agree. Uh, shout out to the journal portion of the website because I spent hours on there reading. I went oh, down the awesome. rabbit hole. So uh, very useful, very helpful. So you heard it here first, folks. Uh, check check those pages out because really, really helpful. Um, ton of educational content. Um, and be sure to like and subscribe to the Wellstack podcast on all major podcasting platforms and follow all things Wellstack on wealthmanagement.com, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And thank you all for tuning in today. 